Folks, Peak Season Podcast, back at it after a significant hiatus. And, uh, you know, that's what happens when you do a lot of stuff. Uh, I do apologize for that. But, man, it's been busy. I do feel like I say that almost every episode, but hey, uh, it's what it is, and uh, you have been along on the ride of uh, me learning to podcast as well as me learning to interview, and what I I really took away on this one uh, almost ended up being kind of one of the hardest ones I've done is that when you find these uh, exceptionally talented people that are under the radar and undercover and, uh, oh, what's the cool way to say it, a dark horse uh, of sorts, the weight is on the interviewer a bit more to highlight their achievements and showcase what they're doing, especially when it's very niche, like what Nathan Hadley does, um, particularly as of, as of late of establishing hard multi-pitch traditional and, uh, and sport, uh, rock climbs or, or mixed. And, uh, he's done them repeated hard routes all over the world um, in this certain arena and established Washington State's um, most difficult uh, single pitch climbs and most difficult multi-pitch climbs. And I'm going to try to not belabor it, um, but I do want to explain some of that just since it is uh, so niche that I can have you all kind of grasp and take a little bit more away from the interview um, than uh, otherwise would, because uh, unfortunately uh, for you, less for me, I got super stoked on this interview and I went really, really nerdy and used like a lot of slang, uh, did not talk full full root names or locations of walls because I was so pumped that I just was talking and not thinking a whole lot. So I'm, I'm taking some time on the back end here to uh, explain a little bit more. Uh, the interview starts and I'll kind of jump in throughout to try and uh, add context and explain a bit, but I just want to really briefly describe a complicated thing, but uh, multi-pitch climbing and uh, climbing difficulty. Because really this this episode, I, I think, is a lot about human potential in terms of physical difficulty and uh, absolute difficulty in rock climbing. And uh, if you don't kind of know the deal with uh, climbing grades, it's all mechanics talking about cars. And if you don't know that stuff, it just sounds like gibberish. Um, climbing grades, it's a whole ball of wax. See if I can do it in like 30 seconds. Yosemite decimal system. Classes. Class one, like Roman numeral I one. Hiking trail, plumb flat. Class two, we're talking hiking trail, uphill. Think like uh, parts of Mount Sai. Class three, I'm putting hands and feet down. Some would call that scrambling. Your, you know, your parents, if they're a little older, are starting to feel like you're taking them rock climbing. Uh, class four, they are feeling like they are Alex Honnold on El Cap. Um, it is not quite, quote, rock climbing yet, but there is consequence if you fall and some parties would use a rope. Class five, people are using a rope. People are doing very rock climbing looking things, and if they're not using a rope, there's certainly going to be a significant consequence. 
the decimal of the Yosemite Decimal System starts in at that five. So class five dot, and then there's a number, one through nine, five, one, five, two, five, three, five, four, on to five, nine. Copy so far. At five, ten, we get even more refined in describing the difficulty of five, ten, A, B, C, D. And then on to the next one, 511, A, B, C, D. The difficulty currently goes to 515, D. And the routes Nathan is establishing are largely in the 513, 514 realm, the ones of the most significant note. And all of the routes hold a lot of 512 climbing. Um, For more context, you know, think... Upper 513 to 515 is, you know, nearing uh, Olympic level fitness for for most. Uh, if you think about it in terms of other uh, athlete, athletic pursuits, as it were, um, 512 is quite quite notable. Definitely expert but not quite in the elite realm. And, oh boy, can I just feel the, the social media uh, notifications going off right now, but I digress. Um, that's just to give a little context on grades. So he's climbing super-duper, notably hard things, and in the pool of people that are climbing 14, very small relative to the climbing population. I'll just say that. Definitely wasn't 30 seconds, but it's a big topic. Multi-pitch climbing, right? Single pitch, pitch, length of rope, typical length of a pitch, 100 feet. So in the gym, they're like short pitches, right? Maybe it's like 40 or 50 feet, but that's one pitch, one rope length. Once you go to climb a cliff longer than one length of your rope, which is fun, so we got to do that, it is multi-pitch climbing. So multi-pitch climbing, multiple rope lengths, and multiple then difficulties. So you're starting to add all of these difficulties up. So maybe in some of these routes, when someone says it's like a 15 pitch climb, there's 15 rope lengths and 15 different graded pitches on the route. Free climbing, free soloing. Free climbing, hands and feet, upward progress, just like in the gym. Protection is either in place or you put it there and you're only waiting the protection or putting your body onto it in the event of a fall. Free soloing, I've got no rope, I got nothing, I'm just climbing the wall all by myself. Aid climbing is I might use the equipment like the cam or the bolt to sit on to then step on with like a ladder, uh, like a uh, soft material to then make upward progress to get the next one in until maybe I can start moving again because the wall was blank or something like this. Aid climbing, totally respectable part of climbing and is often how free climbs are established, but uh, has a different level of physical difficulty than free climbing would be. And they're just kind of their own things. Nathan's thing, free climbing, um, at, uh, that really, really upper level and 514 again is, uh, 
kind of held the bar as a high difficulty achieved by few still, though people are, are getting closer and closer and there's more people climbing 514 now than there were 20 years ago. Uh, 512, 513, uh, that has become, uh, if I'm going to say pedestrian and I know people are going to get so mad, it's become more attainable. 514, since it's been established, has been freaking hard for people to pull off. Is still a uh, kind of a lifetime achievement for many. And then as you go above 514 is uh, even more of a career move. So to have uh, climbed the grade is one type of achievement. And then to establish or to put up the, the route itself, figure out all the movement and climb the grade is another ball of wax. And then doing that in a state like Washington um, at certain crags that didn't have the grade, I think is even more significant. Um, so Nathan has been able to do that as well as establish these multi-pitch routes of these high difficulties. Hopefully that paints a little bit more of a picture for you. Um, we'll kind of jump back into the interview now and I'll get back to you in a second on uh some more nitty-gritty climbing nerdy talk uh we start the interview talking about a route he repeated on liberty bell mountain so uh think washington state think washington pass highway 20 um the liberty bell group big spires uh beautiful probably some of the best rock in the state um the route he climbed uh, Dark Side of Liberty, uh, established by Mikey Schaefer, and is uh, about 13D in difficulty, so real dang hard, and climbs pretty much like nothing else on the mountain. It's a really exceptional route. It climbs some really steep climbing on what is a pretty slabby, or at times, lower angle mountain. Um, the route initially climbs kind of styles that would be like akin to steep sport climbing almost, um, and breaks into these large corner systems and cracks and has had very few repeats. Um, but just to kind of give you a little bit more, where is it? Why do I care about it? Um, that's what we're talking about. I'll get into that now. Diving into your your resume, um, you've climbed any route I've ever aspired to climb. I'm I'm a few years behind you in being able to climb them, but definitely aspire to do them all. Um, and it would be what's on the list. I mean, like I, I'm in the like I'm more of a 12 plus 13 minus climber on, on a good day, and so yeah. like I mean, Dreefy looks like a dream route. Um, Gosh, yeah, yeah. Vanishing point. Everything you've done on uh, in Skyco. I mean, I when I lived in Washington, I also was like going to hike a haul bag up to the North Norwegian, and then I moved down here. So it's you know similar dreams and visions. Oh man, dreams and visions, and then uh, have focused yeah. a lot on my career over the years. So I'm just about done with the guiding training track, and it's been great. I have no regrets, but I'm focusing a lot more on my free climbing and uh yeah i live near red rock so anything down there looks amazing and um i actually got yeah. got on uh dark side last summer oh nice. that thing is so yeah. good yeah yeah those those lower those lower the first two pitches are like kind of mind-blowingly good um dreamy yeah it's kind of impressive that like the east face of liberty bell produced such great kind of base climbing oh my god at it's that side of the wall 
what a dreamy pitch. That second pitch is so cool how you go through that roof. And then yeah. right above the roof is so like triangular volumes to me. It's just like, like squeezing volumes. Yeah. Um, it will forever be mm-hmm. probably be yeah, a little balance. Yeah. It will be a, a 13, a, a zero route for me for, for many years, but it would be a proud tick for me at that. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 No, it's, yeah, it, that's a it's a good one. There's definitely that the bold the crux boulder is is vicious. Um, so yeah, maybe somebody can find a find a variation. Um, that layback be worth having a look. I know that layback's so good getting into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really good climbing right there too. Um, but yeah, I mean that'd be a dream route. And looking at the Canadian Alpine trilogy you did. Um, and then, which is mm-hmm. of course inspired by the, the European version, I would be remiss to not be taking notes thinking you'd be setting up for a Washington Alpine trilogy. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, it's, it's, uh, Hey folks, me again. I know that was quick, but, uh, I just referenced the Canadian Alpine trilogy and I just wanted to tell you a little bit about that. Um, three multi-pitch routes, each one has at least one pitch of 514 and it's notable to climb them without falling in your career let alone a season now, the canadian alpine trilogy is canadian because it was taken from the alps in europe that is where the first quote trilogy was done and that's three multi-pitch routes all with a pitch of 514 the links and things are all over the place but Nathan completed the Canadian Alpine Trilogy a few years ago. It was quite notable and did it within a season, which is a short amount of time for the trilogy. And now I'm going to go way hard into the details on trilogies for a second. The Alps Trilogy are three multi-pitch rock climbs that were established within the first decade that the grade 514 was established. So this grade was brand new and in that amount of time these routes were established and these three climbs uh, were to be completed within a person's career so the initial alps trilogy was just like man that's so rad and that's a world-class achievement if you can climb one uh these three rock climbs in your career um one of the people that did it early on stefan glowatz um took seven years and was treading on new ground doing this so like other achievements it wasn't viewed as humanly possible at the time oh like the the four minute mile like running a hundred miles like like all of the things that you're like i mean it's almost like it has to be seen as impossible and then like someone has to do it and then we all do it it's becoming almost predictable in a way but it's still cool and and not to play it down at all, but the success of three people then, of course, did what Stefan did in seven years. It took these three other people two to five years to complete each Alps trilogy, uh, most recently being completed in 2020 in a single season. So we went from seven years doing all three in seven years total to doing all three routes in essentially a few months in one year. 
So it goes to show, kind of as I mentioned earlier, the people's exposure to climbing, ability to, to be consistent with climbing, train, and all that is clearly making an impact, uh, and it's truly incredible. That said, six people have done the Alps trilogy uh, containing the three routes, and none of the routes are shorter than six pitches, none are longer than 11. Uh, the deal, the big deal is with these three multi-pitch routes, each one has at least one pitch of 514 in it. Um, so to do that in a single season is, again, high-level Olympic athlete status. Uh, enter famous climber name, bear with me, Sonny Trotter, a Canadian rock climbing all-star. He would probably hate to be called that, but it's true. Sorry, man, you're really good at the stuff. Um, a bit of a, a Michael Jordan of the Canadian rock climbing scene, or maybe it's like more like a Wayne Gretzky. Is that more Canadian? I, I don't know. I probably just offended somebody. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, freaking really good at rock climbing. Uh, Sonny creates the Canadian Alpine Trilogy. Okay, so we're following along here. Canadian Alpine Trilogy three hard multi-pitch rock climbs somewhere in the order of more than five pitches less than 10 all of them up to 514 in difficulty so super duper hard um, now there's no official record book there's no like building code for these routes of like the bolts must be this far apart or the must have 10 moves of 514 it's very matter of fact it's very punk rock it's pretty much what you see is what you get it's not baseball uh, there's no standard sized field or common set of tools required uh, it's whoever put up the roots called it whatever they called it and they agreed upon the rules uh, the biggest being no falls When I feel like we have it, I'm definitely going to put it out there. Um, I, think, I guess the main question is, like, does it need to achieve 514? Because um, the other trilogies have. Um, I I feel like the Canadian one is, is kind of barely 14A. Um, there's maybe one of those routes that I would call 14A. Um, so I'm kind of curious if the Euro one is like legit. Um, I mean, I know Sil Silbergeier, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Um, kind of the most, I feel like it's the most classic one on the list, or at least that's the one I knew about first. Um, I think it's a slash grade. So I don't know if like the 514 grade is important or not, but, um, but yeah, I mean, even just like, Washington didn't really have, you know, Alpine, I'm air quoting Alpine, um, because some people don't consider like Washington Pass, Alpine, and I mean, Dolomite Tower and Mount Index are like below tree line. Um, Extreme subalpinism. So even less. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but they are legit mountain walls nonetheless. Um, so, but yeah, just like, yeah, Washington didn't really have like 513 multi-pitch mountain wall climbing um, until recently. And so there's at least like a collection of like if you wanted to do a few 513 multi-pitches on an, on three big faces. I mean, you could climb dark side and, um, you know, the deep blue on Dolomite Tower and then Bluebell now on on um, on. Uh, North Norwegian buttress of index. So 
starting to be like more and more on kind of different faces. Yeah. That sounded, sounded kind of trilogy like to me. And it's nice. You, you know, those roots. I mean, <laughs> that's weird. Weird. Maybe somebody will do that someday. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, I think yeah, there's, there's more and more good hard roots. So yeah. And then the two roots I put up on South early winter spire, rubbernecker and backseat driver would be kind of contenders um i think rubber nobody's repeated it but i think rubbernecker has the potential to be 14a um i felt like it was pretty hard and a step up from dark side which is 13d um so um yeah so there's at least those four faces that have 514 or 513 or harder roots on them and then, you know, the Southwest, we'll ju- we're just going to keep diving, probably needs a trilogy too, you know? Yeah. I think yeah. they could, could be done. Yeah. Yeah. And should the trilogy be, um, should it be like regional or should it be like a U.S. trilogy? You know, oh. so should you include like something from Washington, something from Red Ox, something from, you know, the Diamonds on Long's Peak in Colorado? I like how you um, didn't include California. They've yeah. got enough stuff there already. They can have it, you know, like we're, we're good yeah. on that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like, I mean, correct. So people should let me know like what the, yeah. I mean like Yosemite almost doesn't really count. <laughs> it's like its own. Yeah. It's like its own. Yeah. I mean, I think like something that has like more of a mountain vibe, you know, and Yosemite, obviously it is the mountains and it has got plenty of 514s, but you know, it's something that you have to like do a two hour approach to. (laughs) I'm all for it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know if that would, I mean, Red Rocks is kind of like, I mean, it's wild. It's wild. It doesn't feel like it should be kind of badass to get into those canyons, but it is. Yeah. Or, or um, off of things too, can be kind of an adventure there also. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well kind of di- so. ask a few more questions about some climbing and I wanted to pick your brain on a little bit of your, uh, restoration ecology background, but, uh, are you in terms of like skincare, are you taking the skin kit on the wall, uh, nutrition, are you big up on that? Or are you a can of Coke and a Snickers guy? What's the, you know, like how, I guess, how deep, I think I'm a can- deep a dive are you on that? I'm, yeah. Kind of taking care of my body. Um, I think I'm like a can of Coke and Snickers guy about my skin. Um, I don't, I'm not really super dialed on skin stuff. Okay. Um, I, you know, probably just cause I, I'm don't, I'm not like a hardcore boulder and I have like a decent genetics enough to not have issues for the, you know, the multi-pitch and sport climbing and track climbing that I do. But yeah, um, no tricks there, but, um, my, my diet on the wall, I, I think maybe the only interesting thing that I feel like would maybe be helpful to other people is I've realized that like eating like protein bars is like definitely not the way for me. Um, so yeah, just like finding stuff that's like, has a little bit of protein, um, uh, for like 
multi-pitch days, I, I just find it's like infinitely more digestible. Um, so I think a lot of people are like quick to get the cliff bars or whatever, but you know, it, I just realized that it didn't work for my body. So if you have a suspicion that uh, you're not getting the best energy that you could, then maybe that's it. I think just like having a large amount of protein is just a, kind of hard to digest. And um, so I think just like keeping the protein and the fat more at a reasonable levels of like some bars that are like more kind of like date or granola or, you know, I eat, like I started eating just like a lot of like kind of like cookies, like, yes. um, you know, yes. like when you're in Shelton or like yes. traveling in Europe, you get those rolls of cookies. So like the kind of the cookies that feel sort of healthy, toddies, dude, you're like eating a digestive toddies. type. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. So, and then like in the U S like I get just like the, the bell like belvita or like even i'll get the cookies that you get on like delta airline flights like the, the um, lord dunes bis- bis- what are they called biscotti oh or, uh-huh. no um what are the yeah the airplane cookies um love it stuff like that yeah I've, i started eating a lot more of and you know like i'm pretty like health conscious like they eat pretty well um but I just found like when I'm multi-pitch climbing or like backcountry skiing that like, oh man, like just having cookies. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a good, cheap way to go. And I feel good. Yeah. And it all, I feel really good. all burns the same at some point. And I don't know. It, yeah. it, it's like, where do I want to put my energy? I've been climbing long enough. Like we didn't used to care about skin too much or it wasn't very popular. Now we like talk about skin a lot. Uh-huh. We talk about collagen, yeah. what time we eat the thing at. So I'm just trying to make sure I'm on yeah. track. Right. And, and it's a great new <laughs> excuse. Now I can like blame my skin way more or like I didn't eat the right cookie or mm-hmm. whatever. So I've enjoyed it for that. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I digress. I digress. Um, your photography on your website is exceptional. Not that you needed to hear that from me, but I, I thought it was quite good. And, uh, clearly you've got an eye, which not everybody has. Is it anything that you still do? Do you take a big piece of glass out there? Um, no, not usually. I mean, partially because it, the iPhone camera has gotten so good. Um, but yeah, I think, um, so for a while I was like, while I was still root setting, I was kind of like playing, toying with the idea of, of a career as a photographer. Um, I ended up bailing on that. Um, it's, it's definitely a really hard path. I think, for people. And I, you know, I've, I've met some pretty successful climbing photographers that have ended up pivoting. So I'm glad that I I kind of decided it wasn't a good fit for me. You know, I had this site that I created for my photography, but I, I kind of transitioned it into like a personal blog where I can kind of write whatever climbing stories that I think people might find interesting. Um, but I, I still have like some of my better photos up there um because it is something that i like i still enjoy doing i recently got rid of my a good like kind of smaller uh, camera that i used like in in patagonia it was something that i could climb with on my kind of on my waist because yeah just the the eye like the camera or the phone cameras have gotten so good um i do i still have like a mirrorless um a mirrorless slr camera that i 
use occasionally, but not often. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the, I kind of fully embrace like the best camera is the one that it's on you. Something like that. Somebody has said something yeah, totally. um, to that degree. So, and the cameras that everybody has have on them nowadays is, are quite powerful. Um, so yeah, you can, you can really do a lot. Um, Awesome. Yeah. It, it, great stuff. You, you definitely either intentionally or not use the rule of thirds to your advantage a lot, which I'm a big fan of. And, uh, it's yeah. good looking stuff, man. Um, restoration ecologist, another, uh, line item on your CV. Yeah. What did that look like? Yeah. How did you I, do it? Um, I did that for, um, about a couple years, kind of end of, school and first year after yeah i studied environmental science and i um was kind of on track to be an ecologist and i was most interested in restoration um work because i i, I kind of figured out that i wasn't super into doing research and in the restoration side of ecology was a little bit more hands-on like you know i I, I guess it's something that I learned over the years about myself is that I like kind of forming and creating things. Um, so yeah. And, and there's a lot of kind of commonality there with, with, um, with root setting, um, which I ended up kind of getting sucked into that because I enjoyed building things, but yeah, I, um, I really care about, um, sustainability, about like protecting what we have and, um, super passionate about climate and energy transition. Um, and it's kind of a part of me that I've set on, on to the side ever since I had kind of pivoted into root setting. But as I pivoted into software engineering the last couple of years, and it's something as a software engineer that I want to get back into, you know, more of kind of the, energy transition side of things so there's there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of software applications um, there a lot a lot to be done a lot of cool things already happening so yeah yeah so i definitely have kind of like a pretty deep passion for like protecting and like taking care of like the world that we have and the wild spaces that that we have so and with we love to get back into some work that has kind of a, a direct line of connection to that kind of stuff again. Well, I mean, it sounds like you've kind of made that authentic life or working towards it anyway of like weaving it all together. Uh, there's been no, no wasted time, so to speak. And I'm sure uh, putting words in your mouth that probably the restoration ecology has informed how you develop, uh, how you approach a route, how you, re how you recreate. You just had everything you do changes your eye so much. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting. Um, and it kind of ties back to like the whole debate about, you know, bolting and like, and just what we leave behind, um, you know, a decisions to pull a plant out or to like pull, you know, a chunk of stone out, um, when developing a root, um, you know, something that I learned when I was working on restoration ecology is that there kind of isn't really a, a previous state to restore to. We, I mean, we are kind of always arbitrarily deciding 
what to recreate. And so kind of restoration is kind of a misnomer in a certain sense, um, because I mean, we're never going back to like what exactly something was before, because, you know, the ecology and is, and the climate are kind of forever changing and, and humans have had an impact on, on ecosystems for, for thousands and thousands of years. And, um, it's not something, it's not something new that we're making an impact. It's more of a question of how, how we make an impact and, and how we're living in this world. And, and so I kind of take that ideology and philosophy into root development too. And that's why I'm not opposed to like pulling out a plant here and there, putting in a bowl. Um, you know, cause I, I feel like, yeah, yes, I am kind of altering it, but it's, it's a little bit about what, what, um, what makes us humans. Like we're, we're, we just kind of create things and form things. And, uh, the bigger question is not like whether we're kind of altering it, but like, in what mindset are we making that alteration and, and are we doing it in kind of as a mindful way possible? So, yeah. Well, and, and that interaction too is, I mean, maybe this isn't as relevant, but it's like that root could also just fall off the mountain in its own geologic time tomorrow, despite all of our efforts to thoughtfully change it. Right. So there's yeah. forces at play at, at mm-hmm. all points with it that interact with that. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and something, a story about vanishing point, uh, one of the things that made our day a, a little bit of an epic was that like a, a small section of the route actually fell off and it took us a while to figure out how to get around it because we were like trying to climb an area that was supposed to have a couple bolts. Um, but we couldn't find them. Um, so luckily Bordeaux put in a couple bolts like out to the left and we were able to like climb it. Um, I don't know if he like suspected that, that this, this chunk might fall off and that's why he, he put those bolts in. Um, that's definitely a question that I would like to ask him, but yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, we see it all the time. Like the, like, um, snow patch fire like that, like whole roots are gone. Oh yeah. Um, which is crazy. Oh yeah. Girth pillar on Stewart. Um, gosh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, there's a route on Trango that fell yeah. off in the eighties soon after its first descent, either great Trango or nameless. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. just, the list goes on. is the only constant. So All right, folks, we're going to just roll through no ads here and hold some space for Michael Reinkowitz, uh, Nathan and Stamati's partner on the North Norwegian buttress route that we're about to talk about that they established and freed uh, this past summer, a truly incredible route and a truly incredible person that was a pivotal member of the index climbing community. And uh, I can't say enough about how deeply missed he is. I'll uh, post some resources for you to be able to support uh, his family uh, during this very trying time.
dive into the North Norwegian buttress route that was established by Nathan and Michael and Stamati uh, over a number of weeks and they were managed to also free the route and this is on Mount Index on Highway 2 up in Washington State which is an iconic gothic uh, mean looking mountain that really doesn't look like anything else in the Cascades that bears over Highway 2 and a very popular day hike, Lake Serene. And, uh, this is an imposing wall and it has a long lineage and many climbers in recent years and uh, gosh, greater than 30 years ago have been establishing routes up there. We get into the nitty gritty of putting up this route and freeing it. Uh, how it moves. Nathan has a pretty extensive background in competition climbing and as well as route setting, which I, I know maybe isn't his favorite part of his resume, um, if I were to put words in his mouth, but it is a really, really cool experience to get to focus so much on moving and climbing literally vertical miles of uh, climbing in music it'd be almost like scales it's it's learning the the patterns and the ways that you move your body through certain types of terrain and being a setter in a gym and getting to create the routes that other people climb set you up perfectly to be able to establish climbs and see the way and have the movement dictionary or catalog uh, to work through uh, what the mountain gives you and provide a really cool experience for all of us folks that just get to go climb it now. So we talk a bit about that and uh, let uh, Nathan take it from here. Um, one big thing that motivated me to, to just finally kind of go for it this summer was I am like about to be a, a new father. So, I'll, you know, my little girls do in a few weeks. So I, I was like, this is the summer I should do kind of like that dream project and and um but then like the crux of it was finding like like who is like who's a where i need like another person that's like as crazy as i am to go in on this like because this is gonna be like weeks of work um you know because not only are we going to aid to the top of it which in total might take about a week you know just kind of judging off of like um you know the 2020 route and how long it took them um but we're also gonna like try to prep this route as a free route um which is going to take a whole bunch more time um so um i was kind of i talk about it with i like in the spring I was talking about with everyone kind of like feeling out all my friends um and i was talking about with stamati and he is like oh you know michael Michael uh, has mentioned to me that he's interested and, and I kind of thought about reaching out to him for a bit, but I didn't know him and was kind of hesitant to like jump into a huge project like this with somebody I didn't know. Um, and then like I hiked up there later with Liz, my wife and took some photos and drew like a route line and sent it to a couple friends was like, Hey, this is the line I'm thinking sent it to Stamati and, and Stamati was like, Oh, like, no way. Like Michael just sent me like the same line. <laughs> so it was like, at that point was like, I, I think I should probably reach out to this guy. Like, you know, it's like, what? Well, there's, there's, there's like, I don't know how many people in the universe are like thinking of like the same line of this, up, up this tower. 
um, you know, it's got to be just us or maybe one other person, um, you know. So we we teamed up and yeah, we we talked about our different options and we decided ground up was the way. Um, kind of gathered all the gear and um, basically just over a period of the summer, we kind of we just kept pushing the route higher um, and we um so at one point um for a short period we had like the whole tower fixed after the end of it but but yeah we we would just go up there push the route a little higher um we would free free climb when we could like the lower pitches like the first couple pitches i climb with just gear no drill or anything um but we pretty quickly started climbing with the drill um, and replacing, you know, natural pro pounding, pounding in beaks, um, whatever when we could and, and then full on aiding certain sections, like especially through these steep overhangs and these roofs, we were just fully aiding, um, and just trying to keep the drilling to a minimum so that we had, um, the freedom to kind of come back down and, get in minimal directionals, you know, maybe it was a bolt if we needed to place a bolt, but just maybe using cams and, and try to get a feel for what the climbing would be like. Cause there was a couple sections where we ate it up or kind of free aided mix up, uh, an entirely different pitch than we ended up bolting for free climbing. Um, because maybe the climbing wasn't as good or was harder, or, you know, maybe there was like, a big flake that like looked detached that was that felt kind of scary that we might have to climb on um there was like one pitch like that where i like kind of aided up to this like big flake and we would have to kind of climb through it but it also looked like it probably wouldn't be able to or we it looked like we, we wouldn't be able to get off the wall safely so the better option was just to like go see if this face over to the right went and it did. And actually is one of the best pitches on the route. So we kind of, we use this kind of bottom up top down tactic where, you know, we, we weren't afraid to kind of look a little bit to the side to see if the climbing was better or safer. Um, so, but, but yeah, we, we slowly kind of, push the route higher and sometimes i would go up and just work on the pitches below our high point um on my own um yeah we were kind of like from early on kind of committing to a line um knowing that eventually we would we would find a free way to the top even though like you know we fight it we didn't actually reach the top until pretty late in the process um but yeah it all, all worked out and we figured um, if it was going to take more than the summer season, we would at least have, um, you know, a route semi established up to a high point and we could come back to it a different season. Awesome. Uh, how is the movement without, without giving it away, obviously, is it like all styles, a lot of crimping jug hauls to the, to the top? What do we got? Yeah. Um, it is it's a really cool mix. Um, we, I felt like it was a lot, um, a lot more varied 
than Dolomite Tower. Um, it's a more complex face than than Dolomite Tower. Dolomite Tower is is beautiful in in how kind of sheer it is, um, and it really just has the this kind of big roof at like three quarters height. Dolomite Tower that is, um, and that's really kind of the only big natural feature. Um, but on North Norwegian buttress, it has these um, panels that are like different all different from each other um and so like the lower the lower bit um the first yeah each panel i guess just call each panel like three or four pitches long um you know the whole route's 2000 feet so um and there's like i think about five unique panels um so each panel is about 400 feet i guess um so the first 400 ish are like lower angle um lower angle climbing um still you know steep but kind of airing towards slab okay. um and then uh the next panel you get into is is like this really cool slight overhang really like clean face um and our route actually kind of busts um out left to this dike feature that's hundreds of feet long um oh, wow. so that 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 bit of climbing has like, you know, these really kind of 3d pinches and, um, and jugs and, um, yeah, it's like, it kind of adds this nice variety. Um, and then the third panel, it goes through these roofs. Uh, the roofs have a classic 3d, like bouldering gym kind of style. And that the third panel is, is, is this kind of central slab. So you, you kind of go back into getting some like slab tech um, and it slowly gets steeper towards the top of that panel and get some like vert tech, thin face climbing. Um, and then kind of the craziest part of the climb is this, what we call the head wall. And it's funny that, that Sam and Kyle and Lanny, those guys, they went around the head wall to the left and there they called like this big overhang, the dude which I think, I think is it, uh, we, we weren't calling it the dew. We were just calling it like the big overhang, but yeah, it's just this incredible feature. Um, it's bigger than the roofs on, or bigger than like kind of overhang roofs on Dolomite tower, uh, which are, you know, substantial. Um, so on this thing you get, like, you get some, like, for those, of uh, those, for people who like know little sigh, it's like, you're climbing, like, you know, 20 degree, like little sigh, like edging probably about 50 meters until it kind of turns back a little bit. So yeah, it's like if you took this like sport, like long sport pitch out of little sigh and put it kind of right three fourths height on this huge wall. Um, good. For, it's, yeah. It's not, I'm assuming pretty good friction, but, on, oh, pretty good friction on it still, I would imagine. Or is it, is it naturally yeah. pretty slick? I think little sigh, I think it's a little slick. I think a lot of the rock is similar to Dolomite Tower, especially the dike pitch down low is like even more slick. Um, but there's, you know, I'm not a geologist, but like the, it seemed like almost like there's like calcite deposits in some spots that kind of created these like textured in cuts um, <laughs> that, you know, were not slick. Um, 
but then a lot of the kind of compression block climbing was is on the more kind of textureless stone <laughs> um so but yeah the don't like the bearing and 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 you know index rock is kind of similar to little sign and, that, and that's like that, it's not super textured Okay. Um, well, I, I do. So. I do think you probably just convinced a lot of people to climb it when you say that it's like excellent little side edging three quarters of the way up. I mean, it's a good sell. Yeah, it is a good. No, I mean this. I mean, a lot of the pitches on these climb and would be would be total classics. And but with all the experience yeah. of the team, like yourself and Stamati and Michael, I mean everyone has such a wealth of movement expertise to bring to that route. I'm excited to go check oh, yeah. it out and see kind of everyone's vision. I mean, Michael's been around since long before my time. I remember meeting him in index, like gosh, in the early mm-hmm. middle two thousands or something. Stamati's quite made yeah. quite the name making many laps and miles at the wall there. And, and you're certainly a yeah. world traveler and have the, uh, the repertoire to throw down on it. Um, I am a total multi-pitch dork and love strategy, and it is by far my favorite mm-hmm. type of climbing. What is your tracks setup of choice? Are you two tractions, lift guy, any preference on the follow? Oh yeah. I, um, I use, uh, I do use, I am a lift single tracks, tracks guy, um, I'm not like a hundred percent on that setup, but it seems like maybe it maybe seems like the two micros feeds a little bit better. So maybe I feel like I should have like both setups at, on hand. I actually only have one micro. I should get another because I like the lift when you know that you can kind of add a little bit of weight then it's fine. Right. Um, Cause it's just, I don't know. It's just nice to like, maybe feel like you're not tearing up your rope as as much um with the lift as your top device but but yeah that was blake blake harrington's a lift traction guy and guy i got it from him so yeah he's he definitely proliferated that a number of years ago and that seemed has has stuck i've done that a fair bit too and uh Mm -hmm. free long free routes are you more backpack and stuff on the harness or are you doing hauls and hauling are you hand hauling using your foot tagline what do you got on that yeah i've had yeah a lot a number of friends that kind of have helped improve my methods over the years and i mean i feel like i've gotten to a point where it's like i don't know why you would do it any other way but but yeah i'm definitely a um fix and follow and haul guy and use the, the foot yep. the foot hauler Perfect. um just like it, it just seems like the mo- the minimal most minimal amount of work for everyone yep. um so you know i love if i'm leading a block to lead and be able to you know I, i'll just carry an, an extra nano with a little foot loop and clip that on you know have another nano for the haul line and it's just like a no effort haul for me really fast i get the bag i get my jacket i eat my snacks while the you know the second is doing their thing and they can take their time climb up climb up the pitches yeah i think it's just the 
way to go. So using, nobody has to carry carry anything. <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. But I, I love talking shop with other people that do it a ton because you learn stuff. Are you using like a little static yeah. line or like Amsteel or? I um, yeah, I have this like I got this like um, it's like a five. I think it's a five mil Dyneema line um that bl makes but it's kind of weird you can only get it in like a 50 meter strand i find for most roots that works um yeah i use that when i when i know that i'm just gonna haul i haven't tried to to do anything smaller than that i know that some people have and some people have employed like a little bag that they like stuff it into um which i haven't tried but the the five mil dyneema i think is like you know, the Dyneema is super strong and, and lighter, like kind of the lightest weight material that you could get. So, um, and you know, it's honestly so light that I haven't really felt like I needed to go smaller or lighter. And once you, you do have to kind of be mindful about not getting it tangled, but once you get used to it, um, I mean, I, I, I feel like the trick is just to like have large loops yeah, you know, and on a wall like, you know, North Norwegian buttress or like Dolomite Tower, where it's pretty steep and face climbing. Um, like, a, as long as it's not in the way of the climber falling below, it, like I'll just have like one huge loop or two, and doesn't get tangled that way. And so, but yeah, if you, I think if you have to like use it as um, a wrap line, it's kind of nice to have something a little bit burlier and a little bit nicer to hold on to. Um, yeah. What are your, <laughs> what's your go-to uh, same for, for taglines? Um, man, yeah, there's all kinds of things in these days, but same setup, like two nanos. I use whatever sling or prusik I have available for the foot loop or even like the other, like a tie a knot yeah. in the rope and just use the rope. And then I've started using mm. like a little shopping bag, like those one, the reusable ones you get at the grocery store that are by the register. Yeah. Um, they usually have a, like a thicker one. Yeah, not you don't even have to be that thick. They like some of them stuff into themselves like a Houdini, and some of them even yeah. Oh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I have one of those. And like eclipse to your harness, I just take one, and then that helps at like hangers. And then honestly, it's great for wrapping. It's almost more beneficial for coming down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. Um, I really appreciate you, you know, making the time and just sitting down to talk shop with some random guy from Instagram. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. uh, I want to, yeah. I could easily yeah. keep nerding out and talking for hours, but um, this has been, been amazing and uh, a great introduction to you and uh, your lineage there in the Skyco that is just getting started really. Yeah. Yeah. I love this place. I hope to be here for a while. Um, but yeah, Stefan, uh, let's stay in touch and, um, sounds like, sounds like you might really enjoy getting on Bluebell. And if you do, I would love to go up it with you. I'm, no way. Awesome. I'm, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's so fun. It's fun climbing. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go climb on that thing again. So, All right. um, well, we'll, uh, yeah, hit me up here in the area we'll, for sure. We'll do some, <laughs> we'll do some tradesies and I can give you a tour of some fun stuff down here. All right, team. We did it. That was the episode. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I hope me adding some context in there colored 
the episode a little bit more in for you and gave Nathan's uh, accomplishments and achievements and, uh, you know, humble demeanor, the uh, space and time that uh, I think it definitely deserves. It's, uh, it is winter, despite me still talking about rock climbing, and uh, surely y'all are dreaming of POW and skiing up in the Northwest. Uh, it has been an exceptional December here in the Southwest Desert, and I will be chasing the sunny rocks as, as much as I can until springtime comes and I turn into a ski mountaineer. Until that time, I'll uh, see you on the next episode. Cheers, folks.